episode number 55. I can't pull that off. <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. Roger, Roger. Welcome F-A-B. to... To FAB. What's FAB? Uh, Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. Ah, okay. Well, everybody, welcome to another, back to another episode of the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast, where we get together and uh, have some coffee and talk Ask some questions. Stuff. Ask some questions, which is great, because today's episode is about the original question man, Mr. Socrates himself. Yay, we need, to, we need a clap thingy. You definitely. Yeah, I knew when I sent that idea over... Because I got this uh, notion in my head to do the Socratic method, and I knew when I sent that idea over to you, you were going to do a little happy dance. Yeah, well, Socrates is like my favorite he's your philosopher. Guy. Yeah, he's yeah. my favorite one. Um, and way, 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 way back in the beginning, in fact, I don't even know, have we done an episode that talks about the inspiration behind why we bring people this podcast itself? I'm not sure. Yeah, because Socrates is one of the inspirations for that. Um, because he, when we think about philosophy in a sort of present day, like Thoreau was saying, these days philosophers don't, they do, they're f- more focused on the academic pursuits and maybe more lofty stuff. Whereas the original sort of Greek philosophy and, and Socrates being in that space, it was more about the practical everyday living. So he, you know, he never wrote anything down. So in fact, as far as really we know, when I go link back to some of our other shows, how do we really know what we know? He could have just be a made-up figment of Plato's imagination. Because yeah. Socrates himself never wrote anything down. Um, and he spent his time at the marketplace where people hung out, which is, you know, we wanted to do the podcast here to talk about philosophical and spiritual and practical wisdom. Um, and we chose to do it in a cafe because... This is just where you people gather and we have conversations. And that's what Socrates was about. It was, let me go where the people are, not have some academic place to go hang out or some great halls or palace. It was go to the market, hang out with the butcher, hang out with the, you know, the person selling perfume and, and hang out with the sea with a soldier as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So he's a man close to my heart. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And someone who's come through the academic world, you know, for me coming out the other side of that and wanting to come back to, okay, what does this mean for our lives actually? Yeah. If it's not, you know, because there's that whole knowledge for knowledge sake, which is great. But at some level, I've always kind of wanted to get back to, well, what does this actually mean for us when we're walking down the street, when we're in our relationships in our lives or whatever? Yeah, because so, yeah. it, it brings a practical arm to philosophy in terms of um, us figuring out how we want to live, how we want to be in the world, and it's about figuring that out for ourselves as opposed to someone necessarily telling us what it is. And one of the things we'll talk about today is the Socratic method, which gives you a way of thinking for yourself, in essence, um, and the whole thing about question everything. <laughs> I wish you, everyone could see your eyes light up there. Yeah, that's thing. it. Question Whoa. everything. Yes. So um, where do we want to start then talking about? Well, tell Mr. us Socrates. more about the Socratic method, because yeah. it's basically about kind of lo- the love of questioning, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, 
I guess what Socrates is famous for in terms of that method, his method of, of questioning. So if any of the listeners, if you read any of Plato's stuff, you know, Socrates, you know, his main way of helping people to uh, come to wisdom and for himself as well was through questioning and questioning and doing a thorough job of questioning. Um, in fact, one of his famous saying, and I was looking for the T-shirt today because I have the T-shirt that says the only thing that I know for certain is that I know nothing. Uh, which is the position, or that that was a, that was um, Socrates's internal philosophy. That's how he approached things. So he never considered himself to be a wise man. Um, he definitely didn't like the sophists. So it was, you know, hey, I know nothing. Only thing I know is that I know nothing. Um, and he pushed the question. Now I'm going to outline what the Socratic method is and what it's what it's kind of about and we can go a little bit more in depth in it as well but just wanted to say in case I forget because I'm often like to forget things um, that wasn't the only method that it used because it used a lot of metaphor and analogies as well like mm. the cave and things like that um, but this is the, the questioning method is, is a, a famous bit so basically it's um, you choose is it five steps? Yeah, it's, it's five steps, basically. The first of it is choosing a statement that's widely accepted as self-evident or unquestionable. So some, some belief that you hold that you no longer actually question the belief because you've taken it to be self-evident and it just, it must be true because I believe it. So for instance, if you think courage means standing your ground in battle and not retreating as a statement. So that seems like, okay, yeah, that's a belief. So for Socrates, he says, now, take that statement, take that belief that you may be holding about something that you, and you think it's a certainty that it's true, to question that and ask yourself, and the step, second step is, um, if you were to treat that statement as if it was false, look for situations in which the situation would not be true. So can you find incidences or examples of where that statement might not be true. So, uh, when might one be courageous even while retreating? For instance, if we asked a question about courage. So, are there occasions in the, on the battlefield that you can still be courageous but retreating? Then the second thing is to find, when you find it, an example of um, where it might not be true, then you know that your definition is inadequate. So, you, you start the questioning process there to say, um, yeah, you, once you find an exception of, you know, that that definition is inadequate, then you take it to the next step, which is to then further clarify your thinking. So how can you clarify that thought or that belief such that you then eliminate that instance? So you might... Um, uh, so, so what does that mean? Like you would say, you would go back to what? Well, what is courage? Yeah, you really? might go. You might go back to what is courage really? So that's one of the things that you'll find a lot with Socrates when he would start off with his. That's how he usually start with people. Someone says, "Oh yeah, create courage." Then they would say, "Well, what is courage?" And then you have to unpack your beliefs about what courage is right um, and then you're looking at according to this example here would be looking for instances where your belief wouldn't actually hold true which things you, means you still need to more questioning to do to modify right. that that sort of belief okay yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's okay. that's essentially the um the process that you go through really 
is just continually then feedback until you get to a yeah. point where you yeah until you get to a point where you think well actually I've hit I found it's in the search for truth so what is the truth um, so yeah you keep going through that loop until you get to that rock bottom truth interesting <laughs> yeah so questions questions and i'm i'm a big big giant fan of questioning just even as and and some people would say like socrates is the original what is us coaches like to say that he's the original life coach right. <laughs> socrates you know yeah because that's how so the whole sort of coaching profession is built around asking um the right questions empowering impactful questions that sort of thing and which is exactly what Socrates did. It was, you know, question everything. And not, so he didn't go around and say, so like I said, he didn't think of himself as being wise. So he didn't say, well, courage is this. He just assumed, well, I don't, you seem like you know what courage is. And so he would just start asking that person that's made that definitive statement, well, what is courage? And then he would just lead a series of questions lead that person through a series of questions until they had a light bulb moment and said, well, actually, <laughs> maybe I don't know what courage is. And then we could proceed from there to try and figure out what that is. Yeah, so it's almost like the process is about first pulling away the uh, all the assumptions. Yeah. And then rebuilding, almost. Absolutely. Is that right? Yeah. yeah so it's kind of like... I think... I think the thing that I really liked about it, and I think probably what drew me to this this week, is he takes a really active approach to questions. Like questions for him are an active, motivating thing. So instead of it being, you know, we have these questions in our head and we just kind of walk around with them and they make us a bit uncomfortable, so we try not to ask them. Yeah. He, he kind of embraces those questions and uses the momentum of those questions or the energy of those questions to go out, go forward and look. I really like that, I, that you know, in a way, speaking of courage, mm. <laughs> you know, that there's a lot of courage in that because to say I don't know makes people, it makes, you know, it makes all of us on some extent until we get used to that feeling a bit uncomfortable because it's more, there's something that appears solid about feeling like we know where we stand on things, yeah. you know, and, and once you start pulling at the threads and maybe realize that some of these beliefs or assumptions or, you know, things that you're basically using as the basis for your own actions and decisions in life, if you find threads that start pulling away and you realize that it's not as solid as you expected yeah. once you start examining, that can be a really disorienting feeling and you have to kind of embrace that and be willing to go through that to the other side and that's a tough thing for people well, there's a number of different things like you often get you know if you ask too many questions and it's like you could spend your life questioning so you know i think i get accused sometimes of ah oh, you you think too much is the kind of thing you'll get labeled and thrown at um and because sometimes it's easier in fact it's easier to get on in life by and, the, and, the, and here's the other thing is the mind is, is geared towards that so it looks for patterns and then it makes these assumptions about things so once it can recognize a pattern then it's just then you no longer really need to think about it so it's called like a ladder of, of inference of, yeah, yeah ladder of inference and essentially what it is is um 
once I have this belief and that belief is solid, then I no longer need to question it, basically, because my, my brain will look for the pattern, see the pattern, and, rec- and then it just make, connects and the dots. And we do this all the time. You know, I, I used to be vegetarian for quite a long time um, before I had my kids. And, you know, you, it, it's like this about anything, but, you know, it, I noticed it because later on, years after I'd made the decision to be a veggie, and then you just, you just do it every day. You yeah, don't yeah. eat meat. And you just don't know even you question don't it eat anymore. meat. Yeah. When people would ask me why, it was harder and harder to kind of come up with the original response in an articulate way. Not because I necessarily didn't believe still in it, but that I, it had been so long since I made that decision, yeah. I, ha- I hadn't really revisited that decision in quite a long time. Yeah. So, you know, when I know, yeah, basically that process can happen for all of us about any decision we make. We Absolutely. make a decision once to go in a certain direction or, or whatever. And then, we in a way, you can't wake up every morning and re-question every yeah. single, like, <laughs> basis of, you you know, it'd be lunchtime before you could even, like, get no, up and absolutely. get dressed. Which is why I think it's, it's, it's hardwired into us to, to behave in that way. So once, we've, once your brain can make the connection and, the, and the, uh, recognizes the pattern, then we no longer question our thinking. You just, yeah, I just am a vegetarian. I know when I switch that light, it's just going to come on. So I don't think about the process of it. I don't think about the process of walking I just accept on faith that it's that it is that way so I don't have to think about my thinking anymore which makes us of course more agile but the problem with it, that is if we never questioned the original belief that we could be operating on old information or something that's no longer yeah, that's right. true for us and we just and for instance with my vegetarianism way. you know I made that decision when I was 18 19 maybe and you know, back then there was no, there was no widespread availability of ethical meat. Hmm. So I was making that decision in that sense, and not to say that there isn't still a lot of reasons to be a vegetarian. I know that gives you the shakes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, stick with even, me. I, I don't even hear that. <laughs> yeah, I don't right. even know what you're saying. All I but, heard is blah 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 blah. <laughs> when you say those words, but um, you know, when, like you're saying, new information can come into the situation, and then you might. If you go back and revisit, well, why did I make that decision? Is is all those things still relevant now? Well, even if you just think about your beliefs, your worldview, a yeah. lot of it will come from your parents and your peers when you were younger, and you just that's because what your that's what your parents told you, or that's what your teachers told you, but that doesn't make it true. Yeah. And but our whole lives, we are making decisions and living our lives based off of beliefs that have been instilled in us from your government, yeah. every, everywhere. Everyone's adding these programming into us. And so at some point in time, what you know, Socrates would encourage you to do is to step back and say, well, and this is to, you know, the whole, that saying, you know, uh, unexamined life is not worth living. And that comes from that. It's like, okay, well, if you're not going to stop and think for yourself, so pretty much just being a machine that's been programmed by someone else's beliefs, stop that train and question it. And you may find that those beliefs hold true, which is great, because now you've formulated the belief for yourself. It wasn't given to you or instilled into you, or you were, you know, you didn't know any other way because someone that, you know, we were looking up to or uh, was in charge of you um, instilled that belief into you. So it is about question everything. Um, And, you know, like you said, it's not that I'm going to get up every day and question every single belief that I hold 
every single time I have the thought of it, but periodically having that time to reflect and sit back um, and question, is this belief still valid? Does it still serve me? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, and I'm sure people right now, we're going to take a break in just a second. If you were just, when we go for the pause, um, just pick any belief that you hold and just ask yourself, where did that belief come from? Yeah, and you know, I think that in, there's also, I, I feel like, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot this week, instead of just pulling a random question out of the cosmic soup, mm. I do feel like there's different times in your life where certain questions feel a bit more pertinent, you know, and, and that question kind of arises in your head because of an experience that you've had where you've had some kind of jarring or disjuncture between something about how you feel and something about how, what you're experiencing. And so a question comes up like, does it have to be this way? Or why is it like that? Or something. And I think those are the questions that you really have to pay attention to. And instead of just kind of, oh, I, that's too, like you're saying, accusing yourself of thinking about it too much, hmm. kind of take a moment to hear that question for yourself and then take that through the process. So instead of just, you know, if you're doing this for yourself, say, instead of just pulling a random thing out for philosophy's sake, like what is beauty, what is courage, ask yourself something that feels relevant to you right now. Like what is stress or why, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or do you know what, do you know what I'm saying? Could, yeah, no, absolutely. Just pay attention to your own. Part of this is about self-awareness and pay attention to how you react to things in your environment. So if something makes you angry, ask yourself, why? That's, that's the things you want to look at. So why am I reacting like this to this situation? You know, or why does that person particularly bother me? What, you know, why does that person particularly bother me? Why am I acting in this way? Um, if you find yourself limiting yourself, like you want to do something, but you say, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm no good at math or I'm no good at you know, talking to a group of people. And that's, you know, that limits you. Then it's about questioning where that came from. And how did you formulate that belief? And is that belief still valid? Or do you allow it to limit your potential to what you could be or aspire to be or to yeah. live a happier life that, that, that you could have? Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and I'll talk about um, the different types of questions because it's about asking questions um, that, are, that give you the most... I'm going to say bang for your buck, but I didn't want to use that phrase, but I couldn't think of anything about yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, Some impactful questions. How about that? All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. I'm Clay Lowe. The Havana Cafe Sessions podcast is a listener-supported show, which means it's brought to you by people like you. If you pop over to havanacafesessions.co.uk and click on the Contribute page, you'll find a number of different ways you can contribute to the show if you care to do so. Leaving a review on iTunes, subscribing to the show, or sharing it with a friend are a few options. These are very valuable contributions, as is something monetary, like setting up a reoccurring payment or contributing a pound an episode. Any and all options are very much appreciated. Thank you so very much for those of you who have already done so, and thank you in advance for anybody 
that is considering doing so in the future. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so um, there's this book I've been reading, Socrates' Way, which you said you have as well. It's a really good book by uh, Ronald Gross. And uh, so he gives a really helpful kind of rundown. Because I don't know, when you say Socrates, like it seems really far away and like he's in a Greek version of a toga and like, you know, it's it's hard to, yeah, it it feels like that. So, you know, but it was really interesting for me to read the kind of, I don't know, bio is, you know, so basically he's born of a stone cutter and his mother practices midwifery. And I, I really liked how he uses throughout his kind of life himself as an example coming from that place where he's not telling you the way, but he is the birther, he's the midwife of, of knowledge or ideas, basically, that he's helping you bring what's in you out. And, you know, he uses that stone cutter image a lot as well in terms of, like, you know, cutting away assumptions so that you can s- reveal what's already inside, basically. So, anyway, I thought that was interesting. And then just going through, like, he studies with philosophers that are in Greece at that time. So these, this is the first kind of... So it's like, we always have these ideas that these people stand alone, don't we? Yeah. But he's like, he gets trained early on because he goes out and seeks that training. But from people who are standing on the street corner in the marketplace asking these questions and admitting that they don't know the answer. So, you know, that was, that was cool. And then, age 27... Um, and this is like 442 BC now, basically, like approximately. Socrates learns that the Delphic Oracle has declared there is no man wiser than Socrates. And it says he searches Athens for a man wiser than himself, realizes that his strength lies in knowing how little he knows, and dedicates himself to a lifelong search for valid knowledge and deep understanding. And I love that, because like, you really, in that little, you know, snippet of information about his life, you see a man We should also this. mention that his questioning also got him killed as well. Sure. <laughs> Careful there. His yeah. questioning also got him killed because but, but, the power structure, they were saying that he was corrupt in the youth, wasn't he? he was getting into, but what was interesting, li- reading through, I mean, this is really interesting for our, like, time period now where we're living through some of the craziest political kind yeah. of upheaval that, you know, I've experienced in my lifetime. And, uh, but you read through from when he's 21 until he dies at age 70. And we think of Greece at that time as this golden age. So this is the time when the, all the Greek states come together and, you know, democracy and the idea of meritocracy, the idea that you're not given stuff because of your birth, but because of your, you know, efforts is born. And that's awesome. But... Over the course, he's in wars, he fights as a soldier in various um, instances. And then, where is it? Kind of much later on, um, there's a a time that uh, Greece is defeated. And this kind of, the 30 tyrants take charge, like Sparta basically defeats Athens. And the 30 tyrants take over. And he's 64 by then. And it, within a few years, they overthrow those tyrants. But in reaction to that defeat and kind of tyranny, there is a new spirit of kind of don't question anything, just be in control. And so it, it's interesting because when you just say he died, he got killed because of his questions, 
it wasn't like that in the early days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's through like the historical and political mm. change in climate that meant that what he was doing was no longer okay. Yeah. And so I that was something I did not know. And it's um, yeah. it's because um, it's interesting because there's the sophists. I don't know if you've come across that, but you know they were teaching philosophy from a you know as rhetoric and um, teaching you to be clever for clever's sake, which he was very much against. Um, and they had the, I'm wise, so let me tell you how, how, it, is. how yeah. it is type thing, where he was quite the opposite, which is it's, it's, this is, it's already available to you. You just need to open up and to question. He also defended himself, so he didn't get a lawyer to um, represent himself. So he, you know, he went on trial and faced his trial <laughs> um, and continued even to that, to his sort of um, deathbed questioning um, what the beliefs were um, but he drank his hemlock in good spirits because <laughs> we basically think well what is death except not being um, and so yeah so he drank some hemlock and that was the end of Socrates, Socrates yeah. yeah and then of course after that Plato establishes so Plato's his student yeah writes down the dialogues he has with other people so Plato's dialogues are actually Socrates's Words. conversations yeah. with other people. Which means it could be a fictitious well, character. Yes. Yeah. Like Jesus. Jesus never wrote anything down either, That's did right. he? Yeah. Everybody else did all the writing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And then um but Plato establishes the Academy. And the Academy is this place where where you're you're encouraging people how to think productively. And I found that really interesting, too, because, of course, today, the word academic in the academy is almost seen as a place for, you know, non-experiential knowledge. It's like knowledge for knowledge's sake. And when you say something is academic, it's almost like irrelevant, saying it's irrelevant for kind of lived life. Yeah, yeah. Lived life. Can you say that? Yeah, yeah. Why not? (laughs) But, uh, you know, back in the day, that's the... Thing and it just made me think, you know, schooling in general and stuff. That now it's much more about knowing facts and holding a quantity of information in your brain rather than learning, being taught to think, which yeah. is what Socrates is about. It's like use questions to learn how to walk yourself through thought Absolutely. processes, having the reason. And that, yeah. so some interesting things like what Plato, I suppose, on that end, and and we talk about like sometimes we think that. As humans, we've evolved a lot, haven't we? But we're actually pretty much the same. If you go back and read um, any of the uh, Plato stuff, and you'll, they had the same concerns that we have today about being the rich and too much money and wealth and people just um, living over you know, extravagant. So which is part of this whole academy thing was to pull away from that, to go outside of the, the city, to get away from this excess of living and this just chasing after money and riches and building, you know, your big stone house oh, type thing. Oh, how far we've come. Yeah, I know. And it's the same <laughs> conversation that we're having there. Um, but I was going to say, because you're a writer and creative writer, that um, Plato wasn't all that um, f- interested in the arts. Fond, you can say fond. That's it. Not, that, not fond of the artists because... You cannot control them. It was the emotion bit, as mm. opposed to reason and logic, which is what he was about. But you can move people with emotion, and he saw them as being dangerous. And in fact, 
he was trying to say that the best ruler could be what should be a philosopher king, <laughs> of course. Him yeah. Pointing to himself, right? Yeah, it's philosopher king. Um, but yeah, so this whole emotion thing, and, and if you're not going to put things through the process of reason, it becomes dangerous. Um, I did promise to talk about questions, so people can walk away with some some tools for thinking about an approach to questioning. So um, essentially, when you were saying about um, types of, you know, types of question or when to question or how to have that sort of questioning process. So um, you can explore the meanings of key ideas of things that interest mm -hmm. you. So if you start to think about, well, how do I want to, am I just going to question things for question's sake? Um, maybe put some structure around it. So, yeah, what are the things that interest you and, and ask yourself or explore how that came to be. Um, ask questions that stimulate your thinking, um, which I always quite like to do. Um, and, yeah. And like, here, for instance, can you give us an example yeah, of that? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about... Um, uh, like, what is courage, I guess, is a... Will be a will be an example of, of that aspect. And as you're thinking about the questions in terms of its sort of structure, let's look at that. So there's a different types of questions that people are able to come across. And there. so there's an open-ended question. So you're looking for um, stuff that gets you to make a deeper inquiry, so not just like a yes or no type thing uh, that you're after, or just a sort of a why. Um, if you're talking about diagnostic questions, so figuring out the analysis or what conclusions that you can draw from a piece of data, there's information-seeking questions. Um, so if you're, you know, you're just seeking um, more info about something and there's challenging questions, action questions, so what needs to be done. So, yeah, how you can make, make action out of like whatever you Like, how could doing. I do this yes. or how could I, so yeah. What I needed to do to sort of change this aspect. Um, sort of questions in terms of priority and sequence which I think is interesting as well mm. so because um, we do kind of get into a space where we're, you kind of just like I probably and most of us probably get dressed the same way every day I bet most people mm. put if you're wearing trousers you'll put your the same leg in the Interesting. In the in first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's about questioning some of those sequence, and I think in some of my trainings, I'll get people to take their watch off and put it on the other arm, and it just feels weird. Weird, doesn't it? Because you just don't question the sequence of the things that you do, um, and habits. I think there's something about questioning your habits of belief, your habits of um, thinking, your habits of reacting and feeling as well questioning questioning those so that you keep your and, and i think the whole idea is to keep your mind open and fluid to new ideas because once we once we make a decision about something and our mind has made up that we know what it is it closes down the possibilities the other possibilities that may be there yeah there's that um great buddha story about the novice that comes to see the kind of wise you know, yeah, yeah. man in the cave or whatever, you know, uh, or he must not have been in the cave because he's serving tea in this analogy. But, you know, so he comes and the, the master kind of serves him tea and he keeps smiling at him as he's pouring the tea into his cup and it just completely starts to overflow. Right. And the novice says, stop, stop. It, the cup's full already. 
And he says, that's your problem. I can't teach you. <laughs> it's like, you've come one. to me with a full cup. Yeah, that's I it. can't teach you anything else. Yeah. And, you know, so that's basically what you're saying, isn't it? It's like, if you, if you think you already know, you, even when things come to you as alternative ideas or viewpoints or anything, you're yeah. just not open to it, are you? Yeah. You almost don't even hear it. You don't hear it, or you say, you know, quite often, and this just happened yesterday as an example. Uh, a company that I'm working for, they've, one of the departments is going through a big change and they're merging two departments together. And then the, the guy that's come in, that's the new guy in charge, has all these ideas or things that he wants to, to do. And there's someone in the team that's like, oh, yeah, we tried that five years ago. We did this. So they've, everything is closed down. And they, they, this person no longer entertained that there are other possibilities, so they don't even explore. But the problem with the dynamic within the group is because this person shuts down the conversation by saying, you know, it's 10,000 years ago we did this, or five years ago we did this, or, and, it is, yeah. and it doesn't you know, create a space. When I was saying before, the idea of the academy and our schooling nowadays, and the way that we're taught to learn, that learning is about acquiring information yeah. and acquiring an amount of information rather than learning how to think about information that we're presented. And I think that is really the key because actually when we think about questions, we always think about an answer. It's yeah. like the opposite of a question is an answer. Hmm. And there will be an answer to every question. And if there isn't an answer, it's not worth asking the question is our kind of reasoning. Yeah. And actually, that's a completely different attitude than Socrates, <laughs> Socrates approaches the question. Because for him, a question almost never gets answered. It's, you're not looking for an answer that's definitive. You're using it as a momentum to explore things. And it's almost like you're getting a... That out of the process, you're getting a wider understanding and sense of openness about something, yeah. rather than, oh, I thought it was lit this, but actually it's that. That's not what happens, is it? It's like, yeah. you know, when you're questioning something, it's it's more about an understanding of a wider. It increases your personal power as well, in the sense that if, because if again, if you solidify your beliefs such that you no longer question anything at all and you're just habitually doing your, your thing you, you're right, you don't expand your fear of, fear of knowledge so if we talk about this whole comfort zone and a circle of um, comfort if you never push the boundary between the known and the unknown you'll never extend your knowledge you'll always stay at that limit yeah, yeah so it's about was it uh, Blake, William Blake? And he said, um, and, the, and some, I guess there's also the urban myth, and maybe it's true, I don't know, that that's how the doors came up with the name. But anyway, the actual quotation came from um, Blake, which was, you know, there are, there are uh, things that are known and things unknown, and in between are the doors, which is where they got their mm -hmm. name from, but the full quotation is the doors of perception. So Blake was always, you know, push your boundary between the known and the unknown, so that that circle gets wider and wider and wider. Mm. Um, and you're always in that space. Because once you stop, once you stop questioning, because you think, well, I know that already. Even simple things. So, and I always ask myself this, like, you know, when you go out 
into the, your, you know, your back garden or go for a walk down a neighborhood and you see a tree, most of us probably just do that. We look, oh, it's a, your brain just sees a tree. So when's the last time that you went and looked and touched the bark and seeing the different ridges or even to know what type of tree it is and what grows near and around that, that tree? Um, what does it look like in the winter versus the spring versus, you know, wherever it is in its sort of life cycle? We don't take that kind of opportunity anymore. We just yeah. classify everything, don't we? Just boom, tree, got it. So I know how to react to it because I've given it a label. That's a tree, that's a car, that's a this, um, and I can get on with my day. Yep. And yeah, you're right. We can't spend every day looking at everything and questioning everything all the time. But equally, we shouldn't spend all of our time not questioning everything and just being in a little bubble. Yeah, yeah. And just going along like zombies. Yeah, totally. <laughs> mm. uh, how much Zombie. time do we have left? Because I have another question for you. Yeah, go for it. Basically, when I was reading all this stuff, the guy, who is it? This Christopher Phillips who runs the Socrates Cafe. He has an article online, which I'll link in the show notes. It's about the Socratic method. And he kind of says, you know, it's based in logic. So Socrates says, in the process of questioning, you need to have a kind of honesty about it. Like, that you're not just looking for any old crazy answer you yeah. know that it's that it's grounded in logic and that's what you're saying plato is kind of committed to as well yeah reason yeah reason but it doesn't seem to be like the reason that really comes out of the enlightenment that shuns totally shuns kind of emotional that there's a rationality to emotion or a validity to emotion rather because you know, so, so basically Christopher Phillips raises this issue that it seems like a scientific method of looking at your life, but actually unlike the scientific method, it doesn't say if it cannot be measured, it cannot be inquired. Yeah. You know, so that's a scientific method. The scientific method says if you cannot measure it, you cannot inquire into it. And in quite the opposite... Socrates is asking things like, what is friendship? What is love? What is virtue? What is courage? What is blah, 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 blah. Yeah. How do we make a better society? How do we become ex- you know, the most excellent individual person we can be? Blah, blah, blah. So I guess my question is, like, what does logic and rationality mean within the context of things that are based in emotion? Yeah. Well, I think it is the it's the reasoning aspect. So, what's, what would a reasonable person go think in this particular situation? So, like, if you just um, I'm trying to think how what would is be the just, best. It, it, I, yeah. So, re- is it just about like think like being open to question and and thinking of like. What is this? What does this mean? And then, what stands for it? What stands against it? Are there alternatives? Is it like that's the process you go through, and that's the logic aspect of it? Is like thinking through. I think it's that exactly that. It's just thinking through the process itself. Whereas, I get if you take an illogical one and just say, you know, all um, people with short hair are stupid. Just because I said so. <laughs> Thanks, uh, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. But, That's cool. 
but that's that's just it. But you don't have any reasoning behind it. As in, what? Where do I draw those conclusions from? What is the evidence that leads me to hold that belief? Um, right. So a rational, logical argument has. It's like a table with legs. You've you've investigated what holds it up and yeah. found those things. You've investigated those things, basically. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's a nice that's one. Fair. Table with legs. <laughs> that, that analogy came from somewhere recently for me, but I can't remember what it is. Mm. Probably, no, Tony Robbins, there it is. Mm. Yeah. It's like question your beliefs. What, what are the things that hold it up? Yeah, that's where absolutely. I got that. Yeah, yeah. So, but, I think that's it. Because, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I get frustrated with the... I love science. I'm a, I love science, actually, and I love... And I, I, am, I feel like I'm quite drawn to rational arguments. I'm not very taken in by kind of airy-fairy stuff. But there is a limit to logic. Because actually logic and logical argument in like academic philosophy always starts with an assumption. Mm. Whereas Socrates, that's not what he's doing. He's questioning every assumption, isn't he? So it's a little bit different. Yeah, I think it's um, coming so from a different. So basically, question everything. Yeah, come, yeah, <laughs> question everything. There we go. I think that's a good, a good, a good place to to end it. I know. What did you start with? Mark. I know. All that I know is that I know nothing, or something. Yeah, so the only thing I'm certain of yeah. um, is that I know nothing. Yes. A um, couple of books you did mention, Socrates Cafe, Christopher Phillips, I think that's pretty good. Um, and he started these, a series of uh, Socrates cafes around the world. You could go to his website um, and you can download a pack there. So if you were wanting to start your own Socrates Cafe, um, in, your, in fact, I belong to one similar in rugby. We meet on a Wednesday and just throw a topical topic together. But, he, you know, he's got... Um, some tools and things that you can use for running your own Socrates Cafe. Then, of course, there's Alan D. Barton, is that how he passed his name? Bouton. Bouton. Constellation of Philosophy. Um, and he examines a number of different philosophers in that, one of which is Socrates. I made that up, by the way. Did you? <laughs> and then the other one is the one that you mentioned, Gross, Gross, Grossman? Yeah, Ronald Grossman, the um, Socrates' Way. Yeah, that one's quite interesting. I liked um, that one out of all the different ones I saw online. Because it kind of blends, gives you the, here's the ancient kind of feel of it, but then kind of brings it into a sort of modern context. How can you use it in your work life and how can you use it in your personal life as well? It's, it really does. And then if you were um, interested in, and I don't have it now, so I can't tell you. I was going to tell you the other Socrates book that was more about Socrates. I'll stick it the in the person, but. Um, it's also rather good. Yeah. And of course, reading some of Plato's um, dialogues, just to read them for yourself and to follow along with the... Um, I think Ronald Grossman, he's, or Gross rather, he starts the book saying about what, how important Socrates was to him and how his first encounter was at age 12, he started to notice that every day that his father went to work, he tore about six pages out of a book mm. and then walked out the door. And at some point he was like, what are you doing? And it was Plato's dialogue. And he said, his dad basically said to him, my, my job does not bring me up against challenging and interesting ideas. So yeah. in my commute to work and in my commute home, I you know, want to learn from 
the wise people of the world. And yeah. so he, you know, I thought uh-huh. that was really cool. No, awesome. And they're quite, um, and this is a, and I know we probably should definitely um, wind it down, but I'm, I found it interesting, again, from a philosophy point of view, we think now with rational arguments and the academic kind of space that it may take. Although, saying that, there's a lot of good philosophy out there that's more people-oriented, not academic-oriented, um, that is really good. Um, and both two of my favorite philosophers, I guess, chose non, um, not, non-fiction-ish type means of going at mm. philosophy. So the dialogues, it's not actual fact fact mm-hmm. um, so he chose that method of literature dialogues yeah. um, and Nietzsche of course similar um, using aphorisms and I think his greatest work was Thus Break Zarasutra was a kind of a dialogue play-ish type mm. thing as well but I guess it just allows us to explore these things in a in the context of real thing, yeah. I mean that's that's yeah. my kind of whole purpose for yeah. writing my fiction as well. Is like you can talk about this stuff in a general sense, but it only really means something once you kind of put it in a context and you see someone else working through that issue yeah. within like specific circumstances, and then you can kind of extrapolate and put it into the specific context of your life. Yeah, and that's what I think. That for me is when it's it's at its most powerful is being able to see it through that kind of means like I love looking at it through pop culture there's a great series uh, philosophy and pop culture but they look at various different shows mm. um, and but you but you you'll learn some great stuff but you'll do it in the context of something yeah. that easily relatable to and in the context of your sort of life not dusty tombs yeah <laughs> all right let's end this let's end this puppy and, you um, never want to end talking about Socrates. No. And questions. I love questions. Yeah, me too, man. Question everything. This episode of the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast is brought to you by people just like you, wonderful listeners. So thank you very much. If you have a spare second and you would want to click over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or just some stars, that really helps us out a lot and helps other people find us who might enjoy the show. And if you would like to contribute to the show, then you can contribute as little as a pound an episode or less than a coffee an episode. Um, If you head over to HavanaCafeSessions.co.uk and click on the Contribute button, you'll find all kinds of different ways that you can help us out. Thank you so much if you have already contributed in some way or if you're thinking about contributing and really even just telling other people who you think might enjoy the podcast or um, joining in the conversation is very, very helpful. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sarah Hunt, and on behalf of Clay Lowe, goodbye, and we'll see you next week.